This is the business of sports. We're in a situation that we haven't dealt with in modern times. The pandemic here has really accelerated the investments that we've been advocating for for years. From a macro standpoint, I think our sport industry is really forced to look at the business a little bit differently. In-depth conversations with the leaders in the sports industry. Who wants to be the sacrificial lambs that shows up at the first big major sporting event? We're part of something much bigger than sport right now, and the health and safety of our stakeholders is what's most important. Every moment, I think we're all from a business perspective thinking about the impact that the virus is having across the country. Bloomberg Business of Sports Hello, from Jason Bloomberg Kelly. Radio. And I'm Mike Lynch. And I'm Michael Barr. Over the next hour, we will explore the big money issues in the world of sports and talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. And later on, we're going to talk about the start of the NFL season with former New York Giants great Amani Toomer, one of the great receivers, won a Super Bowl over Mike Lynch's Patriots. Just going to point that out. But first, let's look at some of the top stories of the week. Speaking of the NFL, we're a week out, guys. I have to say I'm still skeptical, but the they're rolling on here, Lynchy. Well, the testing has perked up pretty well for them. Of uh, the 8,000 or so tests they've they've ran the, the last time, last week in August, only two positive players and a couple of staff members. Uh, they sent out some new protocol yesterday that everyone on the sideline, head coach and everybody else, is going to have to wear a mask. And what I think is going to be uh, kind of comical is that the owners, when they come down on the field, are going to have to go through the same protocol, yep. take their temperature, um, I don't know what else they'll have to do, put a mask on. Can you see Jerry Jones, Bob Kraft, stopping and doing that? Hey, I own this team. I'm going to go right. wherever I want to go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the other well, thing, too, is the, is the coordinators talking through the face masks into yeah. the headset to the helmet. You're going to see a lot of like quarterbacks going, run that by me again, run that by yeah, me again. Exactly. They're all muffled. <laughs> yeah, speak up, speak up. Um, yeah. I mean, I will say, Michael Barr, that – as much as everyone loves other sports, baseball, basketball, soccer, and everything, from a money perspective, from a business perspective, the NFL is kind of the only thing. I mean, when it comes to the economics of sports. We're, this show is about the business of sports, and so much rises and falls if you're a broadcaster, if you're an advertiser, or if you care about sports and the money involved on the NFL. Let me say the quiet part out loud. I've already put my money in for my fantasy football league. I've also put my money in for my survivor pools and for my pick'em leagues. So I it's it's and never mind now that the money that's gonna transpire when you go online and you're gonna have the uh real-time betting that's going on. It's I'm telling you, it's it's like the stock market. Because as it's going on, as the game continues, it's like that's where a lot of the bettors make their money. Right. All right. So let's stick with betting for a second because news today, we're taping this on Thursday morning, that the Chicago Cubs Wrigley Field gambling. What? Lynchy? What? <laughs> Get your hot dogs here. Get your hot dogs. Peanuts, peanuts. Get your pretzels here. Come on, lay down your money on the Cubs today. They look good today. They're playing the Padres. I think they're a favorite, you know, 55 to make 50. Can you hear the, the carnival barkers outside Wrigley or within inside Wrigley? There's going to be kiosks either inside or outside the park. 
Uh, of course, they have to go through a couple of hurdles, you know, City Council, Illinois Gaming Commission, et cetera, et cetera. But they are number one. The Cubs are number one. And I think at a time when you used to whisper and people would be suspended for gambling or even being associated with it, it's now going to be actually be on the property and in the ballpark. You know, we've come a long way. Somehow Pete Rose is even madder than he was before oh. about everything that's going on, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So, Barr, you are our resident uh, gambling guy. Uh, it feels like a big deal. Oh, a.k.a. heathen. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say it. I didn't say it. I was, expert. I was thinking of Lynchy, and I'm just thinking it's like, uh, I'll take the over over here. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, this is, that's a big deal. And, and it's, it's going, going to be... How long will it take for other ballparks to follow suit? And for that matter, how long will it take for football stadiums to follow suit? Exactly. Well, and news also this week, speaking of gambling, I feel like we have a theme here. Michael Jordan taking a stake in DraftKings. That is substantial in a lot of ways. You know, Jordan really uh, making his name all over again as a public figure. We know he likes gambling, so him getting involved from a financial perspective is big. Uh, back to baseball for one second. We should talk about the passing of Tom Seaver, really one of the great pitchers in history. When he went into the Hall of Fame, uh, something like 98% of ballots, it was the highest in history at that moment. Beloved in many ways, and I saw all the covers uh, of the papers, the front pages of the New York papers today, uh, paying tribute to him. I mean, a legend, Lynchy. Absolutely, and, and I or slash we were fortunate enough to have him in a Red Sox uniform the last uh, season of his career in 1986, mm. and he developed a knee injury in September, so he wasn't eligible to pitch in the postseason. And I keep thinking back to game number four where we had to throw Al Nipper against the Mets, and who knows, maybe the ball, we wouldn't have gotten to game six and the ball never would have gone through Bill Buckner's legs. Uh, yeah. Who knew? And imagine him pitching against the Mets in the World Series. Boy, that would have been something. It really would have been. And as we wrap up, I have to uh, pause for a moment around the passing of John Thompson. Mm -hmm. I am a proud Georgetown alum. I was there uh, during his uh, sort of the middle part, late middle part of his coaching time and notably was there when he very controversially brought Allen Iverson onto the team. And I'm sure you guys have read and heard all the tributes to John Thompson. I feel like 2020 – uh, we see John Thompson in a whole new light. You think back to the things that he was saying, the things that he was standing up for starting early in his career at Georgetown, the statements that he made, not just around Iverson, but around Dikembe Mutombo, around Alonzo Mourning, Patrick Ewing, the statements that he made about young black men and black athletes and the opportunities that should be afforded to him. I don't think we will see another like John Thompson for a long time. He always had a saying. He always used to say, "Big Ace is cool," and uh, I, I I learned that as I was reading about him. Uh, Big John, uh, he will be missed. Who passed at seventy eight? And we were fortunate to have him here again uh, with the Celtics for for three or four seasons right here. And he played college basketball at Providence and. And Patrick Ewing, uh, best player he ever coached, played right here at Cambridge Ringe in Latin. And, uh, and he became very uh, – I remember I went to a press conference, and shortly after it was learned that Patrick Ewing uh, had dyslexia. 
And John Thompson basically put a shield around Patrick Ewing and protected yeah. him and wouldn't mm-hmm. let anybody get near him. And, and thus the, the, the saying, uh, you know, uh, Hoya paranoia uh, started. But I think he was very protective and very supportive of his players and uh, one of a kind, um, a Hall of Fame person and a Hall of Fame coach. Up next on the show, we speak with New York Giants great Amani Toomer. That is straight ahead on Bloomberg Business of Sports. You can follow me on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. And I'm Mike Lynch. You can follow me on Twitter at LynchyWCVB. And follow me on Twitter. I'm Jason Kelly at Jason Kelly News. We're here every week at this time. Catch our Apple podcast on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world. Well, thanks so much for joining us. We're here each and every week for you at the same time, talking to the biggest names in sports. I'm Jason Kelly, along with Mike Lynch and Michael Barr. Today, we're so excited to be speaking with New York Giants great Amani Toomer. He joins us from Denmark, where he is riding out this pandemic. I guess I would start there, Amani. How are you, and, and how does the world look from where you are? Uh, it looks like a scary place. I, mean, I don't care where you are. <laughs> But uh, from here, it's, everything seems as is, is normal as normal could be. I mean, you go to movie theaters, you could go. I, mean, I went to a couple of uh, amusement parks while I, uh, my time here. Um, it just goes to show, like, they really took it seriously in the beginning. They overdid it. They shut down everything, shut down travel. You know, they do an aggressive track tracing. You know, when they, Once they, somebody gets it, they really go back and they track it well and you know, it's a real kind of group effort out here where everybody's pulling, you know, doing, doing trying to do the right thing. And if the, if the government says to do something, they do it right away. They don't. There's no questions. There's no anything. And um, they they've they've really. I'm not saying that they've conquered it here, but they have it under control because of their aggressive measures that they take. Hey, Jason, Mike, here's a question for you. Guess which school Amani Toomer went to before. He played pro ball. Go ahead, from the Detroit guy. Go ahead, go ahead. Hail to the big I didn't know we'd get a big house reference already. (laughs) Yes, buddy. Guess what? We're everywhere. (laughs) I bring that up because, uh, unfortunately, because of COVID, uh, the Big Ten is not going to play this season. Your thoughts about that? I think that they looked at the, you know, the amount of cases that they had when they were trying to open, and then they looked at the fact that, you know, it affected young people in a different way, not not as, you know, harshly as, as older people, but, you know, they found five of their athletes had um, inflamed, you know, had some inflammation around their heart area. So I, I think that they're going to be, everybody's giving them stuff now, but I think at the end of the day, they're going to be the ones that um, that look good and that really – have their priorities straight. I mean, college football is important, but I, I think if one person dies or if one person passes it on or if they spread it, um, spread this pandemic, uh, just to, just for the sake of, of, of normalcy and just for the sake of college football, I, I, I just do not think that that's the right thing to do. And, and I, don't, I don't understand how some of these athletes are doing it. They're not, they're not getting paid. I mean, they're, they're, I mean, I know they're getting their scholarship checks and they're getting their education paid for, but I, don't know, I I would have a hard time um, making the decision whether what I would do or not, but I, I think that it, it's it's not a good idea in terms of the amount. Like the NBA can do things like that; they they could keep their 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 stuff open because you know they're in that bubble. How are you going to keep college kids in a bubble? How are you going to keep college athletes in a bubble? Some colleges tried to open up. 
I heard Notre Dame tried to open up, and then they had a whole bunch of cases, and it's just it's just not something to be played with. And I think the Big Ten is going to look 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 like the uh, the smart, responsible conferences, while other ones are going to look to me like uh, they're just in it for you know they're just in it for you know the notoriety, the money, and and who the hell what the kids how the hell the kids are going to be affected by it. Amani, this is Mike Lynch. I'm up in Boston, so I'm not going to roll out the welcome mat like uh, Michael Barr did in Michigan. Because... <laughs> I love Boston. Uh, I wouldn't have yeah, a you... if it wasn't for the Patriots. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Yes, we know. We're still trying to figure out how you got the Velcro off David Tyree's helmet uh, after he made... <laughs> so fast before the replay. Uh... Oh, yeah, no. Unbelievable. But, uh, so talking about, <clears throat> let's jump to the professionals now with the players' protocol. Um, so far, it's been pretty good. The The number of positive tests have been very, very low, but they're not in a bubble. And knowing players the way you know players, are they going to be able to control themselves, behave themselves, go home after practice, and stay away from groups of people that may possibly be infected? I really don't see that happening. Um, I, I know players that, you know, a lot of, most of them. Well, I think about ninety percent of them will. But you have that ten percent of every society, every group of people that are just going to try to push the limits. And you know, they're young. And I remember when I was that age, I thought I was invincible. So, and don't really understand if they started a pandemic, a small little outbreak in the NFL, it could shut the whole thing down. Um, so, I, I, I'm, I'm optimistic. But knowing the being in the locker room and knowing that people, you know, how, um, you know, if you want to go out and let off some steam and you won't be able to do that, that's going to be tough. It's, it's a very stressful job that I can remember. And uh, I needed, definitely needed times where you go out there and just kind of forget about things. And if you're not going to have that opportunity, it's going to be tough, especially for the entire season. It's just so much that goes on. I, I think it's going to be very tough. I'm, I'm hopeful, but I, I think it's going to be very, very tough. And so, Amani, I want to go back to something that we were talking about as it relates to, to college athletes. And you brought up something that is has always been important and feels especially more important now, which is the debate around college athletes and their compensation or lack thereof. We have some legislation that may make it possible, seems to make it possible, to have college athletes get compensated, at least for their name, image, and likeness. What do you make of that debate, having been a very successful college and pro athlete? What's the right decision here? Playing college sports shouldn't come with any extra rules. I think if you, if you play college sports, um, uh, there's very few things in our country where you can have a talent and not be able to exploit it and take monetary advantage of it. So I just find it curious that college athletics are one of those areas where you can't use your likeness, you can't use your, you know, and you, I remember Tyrone Wheatley on my team, He uh, when I was playing, he wanted to have a draft party, and he wanted to have a picture of himself in his uniform in his draft party. And because he used his Michigan uniform, like, they ended up, I can't remember if they had the party, but it was it was a big to-do just because he wanted to, you know, use his uniform for a draft party and in himself in that uniform. And uh, I just I just thought that that was absurd. And I, I really have a problem with college athletics after going through it. And, and just, I just remember our coach, our coach Gary Moeller used to get $500,000 from Nike 
1996 money, in 1992 money, uh, for us to wear Nikes. And I, I always thought that was just ridiculous. You know, <laughs> we're out there we're doing it. We're out there wearing these shoes. And then, like, we couldn't even tape them. They wouldn't let us tape up the shoes because Nike wanted to see more Nike swooshes. So stay tuned for more of our conversation with New York Giants great Amani Tumors. That's straight ahead on Bloomberg Business of Sports. I'm Jason Kelly. Find me on Twitter at Jason Kelly News. And I'm Mike Lynch. You can follow me at LynchyWCVB. Hail to the victors. And I'm Michael Barr on Twitter <laughs> at Big Bar Sports. Download the show to hear even more of this interview, our extended version. Catch that wherever you get your podcasts. Well, thanks so much for joining us. We're here each and every week for you at the same time, talking to the biggest names in sports. I'm Jason Kelly, along with Mike Lynch and Michael Barr. Let's get back to our conversation with New York Giants great Amani Toomer, joining us from Denmark. So, Amani, I want to take this conversation into maybe a slightly uncomfortable territory, but to really you know, face down something that I think we're all reckoning with, which is the situation you describe at big colleges is one where you have an administration, and a structure where a lot of the benefit, candidly, is going to affluent white folks, and that money is being made on the backs of predominantly black athletes. I feel like we need to be reckoning with that, don't we? Well, I think so. I mean, that's that's kind of how the way it happens. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting situation because it does, you know... If you just close your eyes and um, you know don't look at the circumstances and go back a hundred years, you, it'd seem very you know a hundred two hundred years. It seemed like the exact same. It seemed like nothing has changed. Um, it's a situation where you know you know these leagues, um, especially in college, it just it just not paying college athletes. I just I just don't how know how that these coaches can make all this money and not even think twice about it, like not even think twice about what they're doing, not how, how their situation, uh, you know, is exploiting a lot of times under, under um, you know, eight, 17, 18, 19, 20-year-old kids. And um, I, 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 I find it hard to, 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 be in, to be involved in that type of situation. I remember I worked at the Big Ten Network, and I just – it was just weird. It was very strange coming from the pros, going back to college, and seeing how kind of uh, repressed a lot of these college colleges are. And in terms of, you know, I tried to go and talk to some of the players, couldn't do that. I tried to go and talk to, you know, get information. You couldn't. I mean, these these coaches had everything on lockdown, and I just, I just thought, man, that is just the weirdest thing because in the pros, everything's a little bit different. Where players have a, a voice, and they have, you know, a union. We have everything to where we can, you know, there's recourse. If there's something that you don't like, you can speak up about it. But in college, you just shut up and take it. And that's kind of, I, I had a real big problem with that when I went back to the Big Ten Network a couple of years ago. Well, that brings me to the next point, is that, in fact, we just talked uh, a few interviews ago uh, concerning the now the college athlete maybe getting a voice through Twitter. What do you think about that? Well, I think it's great. Um, I think it's. Um, I think the, I remember I've had so many conversations when I was in college, and so many of you know, um, so many different situations. And if I would have had Twitter or something like that, I know it would have got myself in trouble. But at least I would have got my opinion out there. And I just. I feel like as an athlete, you, you, for the most part, until you get to a certain point, you're 
looked upon as somebody, you should just be happier here and shut up and play and shut up and do what we tell you to do. And, and that, it doesn't rub me the right way, especially like you go to college, right? I was at one of the finest universities in the country. In the morning, we go, we learn about great people. We learn about, you know, the, you know, the, the, the cutting edge, you know, technologies, the, you know, the, the greatest, the biggest and the best, right? And then you eat lunch, you put on your football uniform, and you just be, you know, you just be a guy sitting there, you know, you know, in line, lockstep, almost like an army, just kind of like do what you're told, seen and not heard, you know, all those types of things. And it was just a weird dichotomy, the fact that, you know, you're trying to expand your mind and, and get you to a point where you're, you know, a leader in society, but yet and still, once you go and play football, you're a, you're just a grunt, and you just sit there and take what we give you, and, oh, we'll give you a couple pair of shoes, and maybe we'll, you know, you'll go and eat at some nice place, but, oh, you know, so, so you should just be, you should just shut up and be happy. Don't, don't, don't ask any questions. Don't do any, you know, don't um, rock the boat. Just, just go along with everything we say. And it was just weird to kind of go through that uh, as a college student. Amane, I saw an interview you did out at the Combine <clears throat> where you've uh, assumed a role as a mentor to some of these uh, elite players, obviously, who are going to come into a lot of money very, very soon or already have. What, what is your primary message to them? I just say um, one of the main things that I was just trying to tell them is, like, this is going to be the hardest thing you're going to go through. You've probably never been pushed athletically like you're going to be pushed in the NFL. You've probably never been pushed uh, mentally and physically. Um, I always tell guys, I was like, you know, because you, know, you go on a, a college team and there's 110 guys, you know. There's a third string, there's a fourth string. I said, you know where the third string is in the NFL? And like, where? I said, they're in the bar talking about how the, bar, uh, how about the coach screwed you over because there's no third string. Either you're a starter or you're a valued special teams player, or you're off the team. And so you can't just go in there as a player and just say, oh, well, in three or four years I'll be starting. No, no, you got to start as soon as you possibly can. you got to be able to compete at the highest level. they got to trust that you're going to be out there. And it's stressful, especially for a young player who's you know, in college where you know, they've been coddled. They've been, you know, oh, your potential, we love this. Oh, you're going to get there one day. And then you get to the pros, and they're like, look, everybody got potential. Everybody got, you need to get to point B quickly. And I don't care if you, if you don't, we got somebody in the draft next year that's going to do it. And that type of situation is, um, it, it's a lot. That's why a lot of players who do well in, in college all of a sudden go to the pros and they just can't hack it because mentally, They've always been the best on the team, and you got to be able to deal with not being the best. You got to be able to deal with, you know, maybe you might have to work your way up on special teams. I know I did. I played. I returned punts uh, for three years until I got my feet uh, on uh, solid footing and learning how to play the wide receiver position. I mean, of course, things are differently now than they were then. I mean, now you don't get three years, so it's just. I just warn them that you know, I always tell people don't let the draft day be the highlight of your career. Because draft day is just a, a small step, a small success uh, that you're going to have to keep on. You're going to have to keep on climbing. It's 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 a never-ending thing where you can't just ever be happy or never not happy, but you can't ever be content mm. with where you are in the NFL because content players usually are the ones that don't last very long. So always have, you always have to be hungry, and it's a very hard thing to do mentally. And and uh, I just I just tell them I just try to tell them what they're in for. Like, this is not it's not 
college. They're not going to be, you know, they're not going to be waiting around for you, hoping that you're going to be good one day. Stay tuned for more of our conversation with New York Giants great Amani Toomer. That's straight ahead on Bloomberg Business of Sports. I'm Jason Kelly. Find me on Twitter at Jason Kelly News. And I'm Mike Lynch, still bumming over Super Bowl 42. You can find me at Lynchy WCVB. <laughs> and I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. And you can download the show to hear even more of this interview, our extended version. Catch that wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for joining us. We're here each and every week for you at the same time talking to the biggest names in sports. I'm Jason Kelly along with Mike Lynch and Michael Barr. Let's get back to our conversation with New York Giants great Amani Toomer. So, Amani, I have to ask you, you know, we're on the eve of a very different NFL season. We're all crossing our fingers, and we talked earlier in the conversation about what may or may not happen. But I want to thread a couple things together that we've been talking about because you talked about – professional players having more of a voice, certainly versus college players. The voice of the NFL player, it feels like, has been fundamentally changed and, and here's hoping, fundamentally amplified given what we've seen in this country over the past few months. And obviously so much of it from an NFL perspective goes back to Colin Kaepernick and, and what he started to do in 2016. As you look at it, as you talk to fellow former players and current players, what's the mood around player empowerment? Do players feel more emboldened at this moment? And, and what does that look like? I think, you know, we talked about earlier, Twitter and Instagram and all these different outlets to where you can state your opinion. I think those gave the players voices. And they, you know, they, some of these players have a couple hundred thousand um Twitter followers, Instagram followers, and, you know, they were, they have their own following. They come with their own following, and it's not based on how well they do on the football field. So that changes the whole dynamic. Like, there's some guys that probably aren't going to play that much and probably don't do that much, but can make money off the field by just being themselves and tweeting and, 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 putting, and putting out their stuff on social media. So that's a whole different aspect of things. Uh, and that gives you a voice. Uh, I think social media has effectively changed everything in the sense that, you know, you're going to know more about the players than you ever have. And it's a good thing in some cases, and it's a bad thing in some cases. And, um, you know, the NFL tries to make sure that the players kind of control what they're doing. But, you know, these guys are more media savvy than some of the um, than some of the, the, the media personality, media people in, you know, in these different teams in the NFL, because these guys grew up with these types of this with with social media, so it's normal to them. So uh, I don't know it's 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 going to be it's an interesting situation. I think it's a fluid situation that's constantly changing, and um, I, I don't know how this whole thing is going to turn out because you know it, this is new. A lot of the I talked to a lot of coaches, I talked to a lot of players, and. And players who I played with who are now coaches, and they're like, man, these young kids are different. <laughs> and they, they're just different. They don't, they, don't, they don't look at things the way we did. And, um, you know, how is that going to turn out? How is that going to affect the game? How is, it, how is it long-term? I don't know. But um, I, I think it's a good thing that players finally get an opinion out there. I, I had to go into the media after I got done so people could understand kind of what I think because usually everything is so – uh, through my 13 years in the NFL and four in Michigan, everything was very 
calculated what I say. I couldn't. I really had to bite my tongue more often than I'd like. So now um, I think these players are going to have. You know, people are going to know these players more than just their number on their jersey. They're going to know what kind of people these are and uh, people these these players are. And um, it's going to be interesting to see how this whole thing turns out. As Jason had mentioned, that this is going to be a strange NFL season. But there's another reason why, because many of the games will be played without fans in the stands. And what that means is the businesses around these facilities are going to suffer. And I I know I always bring up Detroit, but all of the four major pro sports teams, they play within a mile of each other in Detroit. Mm -hmm. And the businesses, Mm -hmm. they depend on that. So I guess it comes down to the point of what's going to happen to them and what can we do to help them and can they survive? Well, I mean, I think I hope they've um, put a lot of money away. I hope they've done a great job, you know, with their business in terms of, you know, putting stuff away so make, make, so they make sure that, you know, that rainy day fund, this is a rainy day. and It's going to be a rainy day for a long time. So hopefully they have a business model that, that can withstand this. But a lot of, a lot of people, to be frank, a lot of these guys aren't going to survive. And um, whose fault is it? I don't know. But I just feel that it, it's a situation where it's unavoidable. It's unexplainable. Um, you know, but I don't, I don't think they're going to, I don't, I just don't think they're going to be able to survive. Um, in terms of the players, um, I remember playing in front of empty stands all through junior high, all through, you know, sometimes in high school. Uh, empty stands is not new to players. I mean, we, we play most of our practices or nobody's there. So it's, <laughs> I think the players are going to – it's not going to be any different for the players. Hmm. Um, when you're on the field, you kind of tune all the everything else out anyway. Um, I think they'll pump in crowd noise or whatever just, to, just so the broadcast don't, look, don't sound crazy, but – yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be a big deal for the players. Look at the NBA; those guys are competing at a high level. Those guys are used to playing in gyms by themselves with their buddies. Usually playing in high school, you know, where there's nobody there sometimes. So I, I don't think it's going to be that different. AAU tournaments; there's nobody at any of those AAU tournaments. I played when I was little, and it didn't matter. You know, the, the competition on the field, on the court, or field, or whatever, is going to um, take care of itself, and it's always going to be top quality when you put another person. In another jersey, on another team, trying to stop you from doing what you want to do, the competitive nature is going to come out. I don't think it's going to affect it at all. I don't think it's going to affect it at all. Maybe it's going to be weird. Maybe it'll affect the referees more than anything else because there's something in the referees where they give more calls to home to home crowds for some odd reason than when they're on the road to the to the away team. So maybe that that's going to be because you know sometimes these referees are, they make business decisions. <laughs> make sure that they get out of the stadium okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. We'll, we'll see. We'll I'm see. a Detroit Lions fan. I know exactly what you're talking about. Amani, <laughs> <laughs> let me ask you this. With no preseason games, who is paying a bigger price financially? Is it that veteran trying to hang on and make an impression for one last paycheck one last year or that third or fourth round draft pick who's trying to make an impression and make the team and doesn't have an opportunity to do so in live game situations? Ooh, this is a that's a age that's a a question that when I was younger it would have definitely affected the the, the younger player, because back in my day, they back in my day, <laughs> sound like an old man, but it was like you had to prove stuff 
before they gave you anything. You know what I mean? They, they could think what they were going to think about what you could possibly be, but unless you showed it on the field, they would just kind of discard you. Now it's kind of like, well, we can get rid of this old guy, and the young guy is more cost-effective. I think it's going to affect the older player now because there's a ceiling on the older player. Most older players aren't going to get much better, but the younger players have a potential to star, so they're going to try and go for more younger players. And plus, you know, whenever you're talking sports, you've got to follow the almighty dollar, and younger players are cheaper. I remember my last year I've tried out for the Chiefs. You know, I was one of the better receivers on the team, but I costed three. My, my, uh, for, for them to keep me, they'd have to, you know, make room by cutting two other players because I, cause I was more expensive. So that's another aspect that uh, it's going to help the younger players and hurt the older players because of the fact that, you know, they don't, there's already a ceiling on the older players more, more often than not. So, Amani, as we wrap up this conversation, I, I do want to ask you about you and sort of you at this moment. And it's interesting to hear you talk about sort of finding your voice in a way after playing and wanting people to sort of know who you are. How do you think about that, both, you know, sort of presenting yourself to the world, but also you're a young guy, uh, you're 45 years old, I believe. What does the rest of your career look like, and how do you consider what you want to be and do in the world? Um, I just use all my experiences in, in football um, to try and help me move forward. I mean, there's a – I remember I, – I thought, man, football, I, I don't really have many, many attributes that can translate over into the real world. And then, like, I had a radio show on NBC Sports Radio with Dan Schwartzman, and and then I got an opportunity to kind of work on a team again. And then the experiences that I had playing football really translated well in terms of getting the group together, getting everybody on the same page, um, you know, just motivating the play, you know, everybody who I was working with, uh, you know, to try and get everybody on the same page. That was one of the things that I felt like was very valuable, and. Um, and so now I, I'm trying to. I have a couple uh, cannabis companies that I'm trying to uh, to get get off the ground and help. So that's kind of what I do now to try and make try to try to keep myself going, keep myself busy. Is um, you know I have a couple investments and I'm trying to you know get get a couple licenses all over the country and and see what I could do in the cannabis game. I have to ask the elephant in the room question. Oh, we got some football coming up. So, uh, give me your prediction this season. Who do you think uh, it's going to be uh, in the Super Bowl? I, I, you know, being a Michigan guy, I have to say I think it's going to be Tampa Bay. I think they're going to represent the uh, the, uh, the 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 NFC. I mean, yeah, the yeah the NFC and the AFC. Oh man, I think it might be. Oh, it's going to be the Chiefs. Yeah. God, the Chiefs look yeah. good. They look real the Chiefs good. Chiefs look good. I just don't, but I, I don't know. Lamar, I don't know. I don't know about the Ravens though. That's going to be an interesting situation. How they going to? How is Lamar going to come back in his second year? And how is that team going to react with a couple changes? But those are the three teams I'm really looking at. This and then the Niners as well. So those are the four teams that I think they're going to be in the final four. I'd say the the Buccaneers, the Niners, the Ravens, and. Um, the Chiefs, those are the teams I think are going to be, when it's all said and done, those are going to be the ones. You think Kaepernick gets another shot, Amani? 
No, I don't. And it's a, it's a shame that he doesn't, but um, especially how the how mediocre some of the quarterback play has been in the NFL over the last couple of years. I mean, there's been some terrible quarterbacks that are starting. And teams are just willing for, willingly, you know, getting coaches fired, getting head coaches fired, getting uh, general managers fired just because they don't want to. That's what the thing that bothered me about the whole Kaepernick thing is if you want to be the best and if you want your team to be the best, you put the best people out there. But a lot of these NFL teams, most of these NFL teams and owners are basically saying, mm, do I want to be the best? Eh, mm, ah, kind of, maybe, maybe not. I'd rather go with this guy. You know what I mean? And that, that bothers me that we're out there trying, like players are out there trying their best. They're doing everything they can, sacrificing day in and day out. And just because, you know, they don't agree with somebody politically that they want to affect an entire organization and fire coaches, general managers, scouts. There's a lot of people in the NFL that are dependent on how well the team does um, on Sundays. Uh, and and the fact that these owners are like, mm, don't care. <laughs> you know, that, that, I don't agree with this politics. Don't care. Keep them off my team. Uh, that just really rubs me the wrong way. And I, I always felt like the NFL was an meritocracy where the best player would play no matter what. And now I'm figuring out it's really not, unfortunately. It is amazing, too, when you think about it, just to, to go on that for one second, Amani, like to think about the ownership across some of the other professional leagues. And, and we talk a lot on this show about what you've seen in the NBA versus some of the other professional leagues where the owners really have very willingly turned it into much more of a player-driven league. Do you think we'll ultimately see that in the NFL, or is it just too is too much baked in to a more traditional view of owners and and players i think eventually it will be i think i think what started this change is social media i mean they have voices now you can't mute their voices and then if you if one of these owners says something that goes against you know that's totally outrageous you know it may it may not happen now it may not happen in a couple of years but these owners are going to start losing certain players are going to be like, you know what? I would love to play there, but no, nah, I can't rock with that owner. I mean, it hasn't happened yet. I don't think, but eventually it will. There's you know, players or player empowerment is, is, is coming around the corner. It's coming slowest in the NFL, but, um, but yeah, I think it's, it's going to be a situation where there's not that many players, not that many people in the, in the world that can play football well. And, you know, if you can get somebody like a, you know, that, you know, that can that can change a game or change the fortunes of your organization. Are you going to say I I don't want him because yeah I, I, I I'm I'm not going to listen to anything he has to say. He just needs to shut up and play where he has opportunity to go other places. I think it's I think it's a situation that it's it's a fluid situation that's changing all the time. And um, at the end of the day, nobody's going to go into a stadium and watch a whole bunch of owners. You know count money. They're going to go there and watch people play football and they want their teams to win. And if the owners don't um, live up there in the bargain and make their team as competitive as, as possible, why, why would you be a fan of that team? I mean, I, I, like, I love to watch the New York Giants, not only because I play for them, but I know at the end of the day, they want to win and they do everything they can to win. And if you have that, if you have that understanding, then it's an easy team to root for. But if there's a team that's traditionally been bad 
and they make stupid decisions based on random uh, that's not aren't thought out. Why would you be a fan of that team? They have to earn their fans, just like we have to earn our. You know, we just like players have to earn their way on the team. They have to earn their fans, and and that's our, their end of the bargain that they have to live up to. All right. Well, we've really enjoyed this. Thank you so much. Amani Toomer, uh, of course, New York Giants, great businessman, broadcaster, um, very thoughtful guy. We really appreciate uh, you spending some time with us today. Be well. Thank you. I appreciate your time. All right. So really interesting conversation, guys. You know, a former player, I love talking to them in part because it's a bit more unvarnished, right? I mean, he has had some time to think. He's had some time to talk to players and especially the things he said about social media really resonated with me. It's a different era for athletes right now. I was thinking, yes, I'm a big University of Michigan fan. And yes, I saw him play. And then I heard uh, Amani talk about some of his experiences and what he really thought about playing in college. And then I realized I'm just the typical fan back in the day of watching him. Uh, and really not putting together what those college athletes were going through. Yeah, when he mentioned that Gary Moeller was getting a half a million dollars from Nike to wear the so he wear a jacket and the players get to wear Nike shoes and they couldn't even put tape over them because they yeah. wanted to display the swoosh. Uh, and who benefited from that? Gary Moeller, the coach. Did the players benefit from that at all? Zero. Yeah. It's, I, I feel like we are going to look back. I mean, we're going to look back on 2020 as yeah. a, a year like none other for many, many reasons. But from the perspective of sports, I do think this is an inflection point. And I think the, the louder and more frequently we hear from former players and, as Amani pointed out, current players who just they're they're not going to deal with this a- anymore and i love the idea of you know getting back to being a meritocracy putting the best team on the field politics notwithstanding uh i don't know it, it was ultimately a, a hopeful conversation it gives me a little bit of optimism going forward my goal is to be the number one pick that's something i've been dreaming of since kids it feels better to be number one than number five i wear the number because of mike we have a chance to go for three in a row good numbers at a good time when i first started wearing that number i was just happy and proud bloomberg business and sports the number of the week oh my oh yeah, boy here we go now this is go. this is an easy one. This I'm telling you, this oh, is an easy one. I hate it when you say that because this, then it just makes me feel like even more of an idiot. I, go on. I promise you, this is an easy one. Number of the week. If you're playing along at home, cover up the password on the screen so then you can get all the clues. Here we go. <laughs> the net worth of this man is worth 2.1 billion dollars, and he is very much in the news in the business of sports. Is it The Rock? No, but uh, you're on the right track. No, it's not a terrible guess. You're on the right track, though. On the right track. So it could either be a wrestler or an actor. So uh, who was involved in wrestling or acting? Or I was all ready to go with the Kentucky Derby uh, uh, number here, and then you threw me way off, Mike, because I thought (laughs) you were going (laughs) to. I'm going to pass. I don't know. Well, you you went down the wrong path when you started thinking about acting or wrestler. Uh, think oh. about you. You know who it is. Is it's it somebody Lynchy would know from a Boston perspective? Uh, yes, you would. Uh, 
Oh. Now I've given a big clue. Very much in the news. It's very week. much in the news. It is Boston connected. Oh my goodness! Uh, John Henry, uh, owner of uh, the Red Sox and the Liverpool uh, Football Club. No, sir. Um, okay. okay, you want me? You want me to flip all the cards? Yeah, just flip them. Do it, yeah. Uh, that's the worth of Michael Jordan. Who uh, I was, bought I was the equity say, Michael, share? I was going to say this is related to DraftKings. Exactly with DraftKings. Oh, he is uh, now an advisor to the company. So, uh, and DraftKings shares went up when that news came out. And as we know, he is a gambler. Uh, he is a gambler. He is. That's big. That's a big. That's a big deal. Not to go off on a tangent, but like. Last Dance comes out, and all of a sudden, Michael Jordan's like, you know what? I'm going to get back into public life now, <laughs> right? I mean, like, he's become more active from a social justice perspective. He's become more active philanthropically. He was right in the middle of the discussions between the league and the players in terms of the restart after the strike, and now he's making a deal for DraftKings. It's like, MJ, welcome back. Yeah, I haven't heard from him in a while. <laughs> All right, that's a good number. You've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're here each and every week at the same time, plus online, wherever you get your podcasts. Catch those Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Jason Kelly. Find me on Twitter at Jason Kelly News. And I'm Mike Lynch, still figuring out how Amani Toomer's dad, who played at Ohio State, allowed him to go to Michigan. <laughs> and, you <can> f- <laughs> and you can find me at Lynchy WCVB. And I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world. <laughs>